It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for making me a part of your day, making the show a part of your day. I do appreciate it. Uh, and I appreciate patrons to the program. Big shout out to patrons like Jenny and Sean, Matt, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace, Lisbeth, JF, Leslie, Lisa, and Jolene. I appreciate the support. Couldn't do the show without you guys. Uh, had a lot of fun last night on the live stream. That's what patrons get access to is the live stream. So uh, if you are live stream curious, go check out com. You can also subscribe to the uh, free podcast by clicking on the big fat link next to my big fat face right there on the uh, homepage, thepetecalendarshow.com. Um also, the show is made possible by sponsors like General Equipment Rental, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, using uh, General Equipment Rental for my equipment needs when I get into the house. So when Christy and I had our old house, uh, this was down in Charlotte years ago, uh, and I would, you know, do projects and I would need a tool and I'd have to go around, you know, meet the neighbors, <laughs> ask for a tool, uh, or I'd have to go buy one. And I accumulated a bunch of tools, but then when we moved, we moved into apartments and I had to get rid of all these tools. So now I'm starting from scratch again. So looking forward to uh, not only renting tools from General Equipment Rental, but also buying tools from them uh, because they are the official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider as well for the area. They're in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They're family owned and operated for three generations. Great people, great family, and a great business. So uh, go on in, tell them you heard it here on uh, the show, and uh, take a look at the equipment that they've got. Contractors, homeowners, they can hook you up with the right tool so you get the job done correctly the first time. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Website is generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. So this week, the North Carolina Board of Education had its meeting and they discussed the standards for social studies or history, if you will. And things got a little testy. Um, this is from the North State Journal report by A.P. Dillon and David Larson. During their January 27th meeting, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson and some of the Democratic members of the North Carolina Board of Education clashed over whether the proposed changes to the social studies standards were an attempt to impose a political agenda or to simply include students of all backgrounds. So the first person to speak on the standards was uh, the Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who, by the way, uh, there was some question as to whether or not he would be able to attend because the Board of Ed scheduled its meeting uh, at the same time that the state Senate was convening and the lieutenant governor presides over the state Senate. So Lieutenant Governor Robinson decided to uh, to not go to the Senate, uh, to leave that in the hands of the senators to run the show. And then he went to the Board of Ed meeting and he was the first person to speak. So let's get it going. You know, have the utmost respect for everyone who's working hard on these standards. Uh, I understand that there's a lot of difficult work going into them. And uh, we commend you for the work that you're doing. Uh, that being said, I have to reiterate my thoughts from the last meeting on these standards. I'm going to speak plain because, uh, quite frankly, that's just who I am. Uh, I do not like these standards as they are written. Uh, the three minor changes that were made are not satisfactory for me. They do not change uh, the first issue that I have with these standards. And the first issue that I have with these standards is the overall tone. Uh, I don't like the tone of these, these standards, what's written in them. I think they are... Uh, politically charged. I think they are divisive. And I think that they are, quite frankly, smack of a lot of le leftist dogma. And uh, I say that with full confidence. I am not a person who is not politically aware or politically astute. Uh, we'll just say it plain. I know all the code words and I know what they lead to. And I don't like where these standards can lead our students when it comes to teaching them. I do not like the tone of these standards. I think the standards that we had before these were much better. 
And uh, the tone is the number one thing that I do not like about these things. Secondly, uh, I just think that the, the things that we've added into these standards, quite frankly, excuse me if I offend anyone, I don't think they really serve a purpose. Uh, I made this comment at the last meeting. Uh, at 52 years of age, I was a student of Gilbert County Schools, public schools uh, from grade uh, one through 12. Uh, there was never a time when any of our teachers excluded anyone. We learned about Amer uh, Native Americans. We learned about uh, the contributions of, of African Americans. We learned about the contributions of women. We learned about the complex issue of slavery. Uh, I can remember distinct conversations that we had with our teachers in middle school and in high school about those complex issues and how they helped shape this nation. So those issues have never been left out of public education. They've always been there and they've always been taught by good, educated, well-meaning teachers who are trying to build the minds of their students uh, to teach them how to think instead of tell them what to think. Uh, and so I don't think that the, these things that we have included have been for the benefit of the students, quite frankly. I think they're for the benefit of those who have political and social agendas. Um, and then the third thing that I think is uh, blatantly wrong with these standards is I just think they're age appropriate. I have said this several times. I don't think there's any reason why we should be teaching first, second, third, fourth graders about complex uh, issues that adults, quite frankly, can't understand. We have members of Congress. We have members of uh, the highest ranks of our government who don't even understand our own constitution. There's no reason why we should be trying to teach second graders about the complex issues of race. Those children have enough on their plate learning how to read and write and do mathematics. And I think there's enough on the bone in those three subjects to teach those children those things. In fact, if we're trying to teach second graders, many of who cannot read on a first grade level, complex issues about race and gender identity and all these things that we're talking about in history, how are they gonna learn that if they can't read properly? I think in those grades, we need to strictly focus on giving kids that base of education that's going to allow them to succeed later in life. Quite frankly, there is nothing in these standards that I see that are going to help our children succeed in life later. Nothing. And again, I reiterate my utmost uh, objection to these uh, standards, and my vote is going to be an absolute no unless they are completely revised and we go back to the standards that we have before because I find them, quite frankly, unacceptable. All right. So he keeps hammering away at a couple of things, right? The overall tone he says they're politically charged. These are driven by uh, political and personal agendas. He calls it divisive, smacks of leftist dogma. He says he knows all the code words and where they lead to. What you will not hear in any of this discussion that occurred at the Board of Education, three words, critical race theory. You're not going to hear you're not going to hear that mentioned, but that is what they're debating. And even the people who may not even know what they're debating, this is what they're getting at. They may not even be aware of what critical race theory is. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Um, but this is what is at the heart of this debate. Dr. Olivia Oxendine went over the um, there was a, there was, were removal of words. They took out. So they were uh, originally there were some proposed terms and then they, quote, refined these terms. So the original terms were systemic racism. That got refined down to just racism. Gender identity got refined to just identity. Systemic discrimination got refined to just discrimination. Now, this was done to try to placate and appease some of the Republicans on the Board of Education who objected to the terms systemic racism, systemic discrimination and gender identity, because they said was particularly with the systemic racism argument was uh, that you that there is debate about whether or not systemic racism even exists and they don't want to codify that into the standards. Now, I understand people on the left believe this to be true, that systemic racism does exist, but it is up for debate. And this is why they're having this argument. Here is uh, Dr. Oxendine. She's talking about the removal of these words. And she says, look, if you just remove the word systemic, it doesn't actually uh, create any kind of a meaningful change here. Stepping back from the standards, and this picks up on some of the comments made by the lieutenant governor. Uh, stepping back, as I've done uh, from the standards, not so much the, the lower grades, but 
in the upper grades. Um, I, I take away the feeling of America, the oppressor, not America, the land of opportunity. So it's a, it is a tone that I'm receiving when I look at the standards in entirety, especially more specifically in the upper grades. If we could amend the tone, and you can't amend the tone unless you amend the standards and the objectives. That would please me enormously. I love social studies. It is one of the areas in my um, area of certification. I've taught it many, many years ago. Um, we have come a long way in the world of, of racial equality, and I will say this um, as a minority. Um, when I began teaching in many years ago, I could have never dreamt being an American Indian, having the, um, the opportunity and the privilege to serve on the State Board of Education. It wouldn't have been possible as an American Indian. So for me not to admit that we have traveled a long road on this journey toward racial equality would be, um, for me not to say that publicly, would uh, be uh, disingenuous. All right. So Dr. Oxendine is also detecting this tone as well, but neither she nor Governor Robinson named it. I will. It is critical race theory. And she is correct about the removal of the word systemic from racism and systemic from systemic discrimination. Like when you just take the word systemic out and you leave racism and discrimination and even, you know, gender being removed from gender identity. And now it's just identity. Uh, those uh, those areas of discussion, those topics, they're actually now more expansive, right? You can now talk about more things under the heading of identity than just gender identity. So she is correct that the removal of these words, this refinement that staff did, it's not really meaningful. At the core of all of this is critical race theory. What is it? I will tell you what it is in a second. First, I'm going to tell you about Mattress Man. Mattress Man stores... Go to the website, mattressmanstores.com. Take a look at the inventory that they've got. They have a bed for you. They had one for me. They had actually many we could have purchased. Um, it's kind of the deal. They've got you know four locations in Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville. But you go to the website and you can see the inventory. And Christy and I, we got our memory foam, king-size memory foam mattress from them. And we love it. And uh, we this was about nine years ago. So we're, you know, we're now thinking about, hey, when we move into our new house, maybe we get uh, a new bed. And uh, now we're, we got our eye on the Split King mattresses that they've got. And they're running great deals right now on the Split King mattresses. You can uh, adjust the, uh, you know, one side of the bed without adjusting the other. They can be different uh, uh, levels of firmness, one soft, one firmer. Uh, and uh, you have complete control, complete customization of the uh, king-sized bed. So that's what we're looking at. But they also have hybrid mattresses. They have a queen-size 14-inch uh, hybrid queen mattress for 578 your choice of firmness. They have inner spring pillow top natural latex mattresses as well. So go to mattressmanstores.com or walk into any of the uh, local stores and let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. Five-star local delivery service. They do ship nationwide, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. So critical race theory is the view that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist, inherently racist, and that race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, it's actually a socially constructed concept that is used by white people to further their economic and political interests at the expense of people of color. Okay, and according to critical race theory, racial inequality emerges from the social, economic, and legal differences that white people created between, quote-unquote, races in order to maintain elite white interests in labor markets and politics. See, this is all about power and oppression. Critical race theory is all about power and oppression. Um, also, this idea, this concept of systemic racism, any system that results in racial inequality 
would be then defined itself as racist. That's what systemic racism is now. So if you see some outcomes and you're like, oh, I wonder why, like, for example, um, uh, like, let's say there's some entrance exam for like firefighters or something. And you're noticing, oh, uh, why is one race not performing as well as the other race? Right. If there is any disparity in the results, that is de facto proof that the system is racist. OK. And this is writ large across the entire society. So because there's racial inequality in America, when you break down like, you know, income level, home ownership, poverty rates, uh, uh, academic performance. And so when you're looking at these in uh, or these disparate outcomes, these different results, you then say, well, that's because the system itself is racist. And, it, and so therefore, if you are not seeking the destruction of that system, then that makes you complicit in the racism. See? And if you're not trying to tear down the system, then you are what's called an assimilationist, as well as being complicit in the racism. Uh, so now you're an assimilationist. So this anti-racism ideology actually hurts the people that adhere to it because and the people who are governed by it, because if you reject assimilation into the society at large, you're not going to be as successful in that society that values certain things to which you object. And this gets to another aspect of the role of aggrieved people in our society, that there is a power structure in America here that uh, relies on people being aggrieved in order to advance its agenda. And its agenda keeps them in power under a sort of a neo-Marxist political philosophy and economic philosophy, and they need the class struggle to occur. I'm going to circle back to this stuff at the end. Hopefully I'll have time because I know I'm kind of going uh, <laughs> going off on a tangent. I'm going to get back to the school board meeting. This is Maureen Stover. She's a board advisor, board of education advisor. She was the teacher of the year last year. And this year she's one of the four finalists for teacher of the year as well. I'm incredibly happy to hear that Lieutenant Governor Robertson did have an opportunity to learn such a varied social studies curriculum in Guilford County. But I did not get that same type of, of education and social studies coming up. And so I appreciate the work that the committee has done to make these standards so that they're reflective of multiple viewpoints and multiple histories. And I also think it's very important that we acknowledge that while some students are currently getting uh, education that includes those multiple viewpoints, others aren't. And by having these standards, that means that every one of our kids in every classroom in North Carolina is going to get the, the same standardized social studies education where those multiple viewpoints and those multiple perspectives are included. Um, I also think that it is important that we start having some of those conversations about the complex issues with our kids in elementary school. We have a system where we build upon what students learn from year to year. And by introducing some of those difficult concepts as elementary school students, we're giving them the basis so that they're able to engage in conversations and to have rhetorical conversations as they go into middle school and high school. <laughs> so I think it's important that we leave those, those concepts at the elementary level so that we can begin the process of introducing those to our students and we can begin the process of teaching them how to have those discussions with their classmates and with their teachers. I love this idea that, oh, we're just here to uh, to facilitate the conversation. Are you really, though? Are you really? Or is there a direction that these things tend to go? See, this is this is sort of the big lie at the core of all of this It's like, oh, well, we're just setting up some standards here. We're not telling teachers what to teach. Uh, yeah, you kind of are in the material and the curriculum. And you're teaching third graders, you're sort of planting the seeds here that America is the land of the oppressor. That's what the concept is. And this gets to really a fundamental question of what exactly is the point of K-12 education? But you can hear in Maureen Stover's uh, comments there how the discussion is about, you know, including multiple viewpoints and perspectives. And this is um, this is actually how the debate is held on the terms dictated by the left. After all, I mean, who could be opposed to including multiple viewpoints and perspectives, right? But that's not actually the debate. The debate isn't about including the multiple perspectives and viewpoints. The debate is what is the point of this education? What are we trying to do? Are you trying to turn out good citizens or are you trying to turn out people of letters? 
people who can actually critically think about things, but people also who have an understanding of the foundational principles of this great experiment of America. And of course, you know, we need to have these difficult and racialized discussions in the early grades. We must. I mean, how else do we prepare the kids for the later grades? Don't you want them to be prepared? Well, see, when you frame it like that, of course you want people to be prepared. So this should make it clear now how entrenched the critical race theory is in our education system now. The premise isn't even challenged here. They're not even discussing it. Superintendent for Public Instruction Catherine Truitt said that the changes were a response to concerns that were raised at the previous meeting by board members. I agree that it is necessary to remove the, um, as Dr. Oxendine stated, remove the terms systemic and gender from the words um, racism, discrimination, and identity. Um, only because there are multiple forms of racism, interpersonal, structural, uh, institutional, internalized, and there are multiple forms of identity, as is laid out in the glossary, and there are multiple forms of discrimination. And so what the team has attempted to do is to expand the definition of those things, because as Lori Carlin stated in her presentation this morning, the example topics that are provided uh, and will be provided in the supplemental documents are not exhaustive and ultimately are at the discretion of local districts and to some extent individual teachers. And so while I agree that um, not all children have had a, a, a social studies um, and history experience that does include multiple perspectives, voices, and the emphasis on articulating competing narratives. I also would say that um, the, these standards are no guarantee that any student is going to have a standardized, uh, standardized approach to learning about history, government, and civics. I would also add that the reason it's important to, one reason it's important to expand the definitions of, of those three terms in particular, um, it, and specifically when we're talking about racism, is because the, ex, the extent to which discrimination in our country remains institutionalized or can be characterized as systemic is a subjective answer. One that historians are not in agreement about. Um, and whether or not we want to say that racism in our country is systemic or, and institutionalized or that it is sporadic, personalized and, and um, localized in, in parts of our country, um, we do on paper have a legal system that generally protects the rights and liberties of the vast majority of people in our country most of the time. And so while racism absolutely is real and needs to be included in our, in our standards, the definition of racism must be expanded as is the definition of, of um, identity um, and discrimination to reflect the complexity of, of this term and to reflect uh, the fact that the, uh, the supplemental documents, the unpacking documents um, need to allow the flexibility for teachers to choose which type of racism, which type of discrimination, and which type of identity is most appropriate for the objective being addressed. All right. So again, as I said, all of these topics will remain available for teachers. They will have discretion, but they're going to operate under this standard directive. This is what you need to be teaching in a general sense. And here's a whole bunch of supporting materials that you can use to direct students to these types of discussions 
about, you know, difficult issues. Okay. Todd Chastain, board member, Republican appointee, he says, uh, you know, we need to talk about the difficult aspects of our history, warts and all, uh, and we should be transparent and we should disclose, uh, you know, all of the bad stuff and the pain and everything. And by the way, I agree with all of that um, and the impact that this has had on people and the reality of the situation, he says, but we have to balance it out with the progress that the society has made. And I would go a step further and say the founding principles and how the system actually allows for that progress to have occurred. Okay. speaking of progress, if you're trying to make some progress towards your uh, emergency preparations, then you need to make some progress over to Old Grouch's military surplus. Uh, He's got tons of real U.S. military surplus at the shop on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Uh, he's got first aid kits. He can customize these with for uh, for whatever you need. This is a great idea for hikers and campers and hunters. Um, also for preppers as well. He's got uh, Hungarian military body armor that came in. So if you're uh, looking to purchase some of that, that's in-store or over-the-phone purchasing only. No website purchases for that. He's got ammo cans as well, which are really cool storage solutions. He's got gun accessories. He's got Cold weather gear as well, a lot cheaper than you're going to find it uh, at the outdoor big box stores. So head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. And of course, tell him that you heard it here on the show. I appreciate it. So uh, Todd Chastain says the biggest challenge with approving these types of standards is the balance of all of the perspectives, right? Because you can say, and I think rightfully so, that for you know many, many, many decades, uh, that American history was taught from a white male Europe, uh, Eurocentric kind of view, right? Absolutely. And that uh, the these voices of uh, non-white male uh, uh, people throughout our history were not exactly front and center, right, if they were taught at all. Now, that's not to say some classes didn't cover some of this stuff. Some classes did. Some classes did not, right? I happened to have a history teacher in high school that went over in great detail the um, the Civil War and what caused it. It wasn't just about slavery, but it was about slavery. But for a lot of students, they just learned Civil War was about slavery, and that's it, right? So, um, yes, history is is complex and the people in history are complex. So you do want to have multiple perspectives. The uh, the key though, the rub is how do you balance it? He says it seems like a lot of weight has been put on group identity conflict and negativity rather than progress. And he then directed a question uh, to Maureen Stover. You mentioned that you had a different experience than uh, Ms. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson in you went. To, I know you went to school a few years ago, and I went to school many, many years ago. Uh, would you say in 2020, uh, the teachers, you, you were teacher of the year, like a lot of your colleagues and teachers wouldn't be covering these subjects adequately um, or very well in 2020? Would, would you say, is that kind of your your experience? Uh, um, so- I know you're talking about your, your personal experience, but I'm talking about like 2020. Absolutely. Um, and yes, when, when I was referring to that, I was referring to my personal experience as a student in elementary, middle and high school. Um, sure. I do think that our social studies and history teachers are committed to teaching those hard truths, to having those hard conversations and to ensuring nice. that our students are learning from multiple viewpoints. But right now, there's not the standards that are saying that that's what they should do. And I think that's why it was critically important that the way that the standards were written and the language that was included in those standards was intentionally placed there in order to help guide teachers and to give them the framework in order to develop those curriculums that enable them to have those hard conversations with their students and to be able to teach their students from multiple viewpoints and perspectives. Um, as, a, as a student at the Air Force Academy, my eyes were really opened up to a lot of different perspectives that I had not experienced before. And it wasn't until that point that I realized that the, the America that I knew and that I had learned about was not the same for all of my classmates who literally came from across our nation. 
And so I do think it's very important that we begin that those conversations and begin that education at the elementary, middle and high school levels, because that helps the kids that we have in classrooms today be better prepared to take over the challenges of being the next entrepreneurs and the next policymakers and the, the governors and the lieutenant governors and all the different things that our amazing kids sitting in classrooms today in North Carolina will do in their future. It's our responsibility to provide a framework that gives them an education that prepares them to be the best possibly prepared the second they walk out of our doors when they graduate from 12th grade. And I feel like the work that's been done on these social studies standards is, is true to that because we're doing what we need to do in order to ensure our students are prepared when they leave our classrooms. But, but you don't think that's being done in 2020? You think that we, no. we've missed that for the last five, 10 years? You've been teaching for how long? Um, I've been in education for about 14 years. Um, I do think we have teachers across our state who are doing that. I absolutely do. But I also think it's important that we have a document that makes that part of our curriculum. So I do think our socialized teachers are doing a phenomenal job. I think we have excellent teachers across our state who are taking on the challenges of ensuring they're educating their kids exactly how they need to be educated every day. And I'm incredibly proud of all of those teachers and of all the work they put in as they educate our kiddos. But I also think it's very important that we have a document that stipulates that this is what we expect our kids to learn in the social studies curriculum as graduates of the K-12 program in North Carolina. All right. So the teachers are committed to teaching this stuff and they are teaching this stuff, which is why we need to give them guidance to teach all of this stuff. <laughs> so, OK, that's clear. I think everybody agrees. I think we'd have a unanimous decision that you should have those discussions with civility and understanding and empathy and we care for each other. And we're, we're all one human race. It's a uh, and so. Yeah, we all agree on all that. It's just kind of how you present them and what what balance. Because there's you know there's some curricula out there now that uh, is being heavily promoted that skews things a certain way. And you know having the opportunity to be associated with work in a hundred countries around the world, we see some real oppressive human rights. You know, uh, you look at China uh, forced labor. You see you see uh, Uyghurs being punished, Uyghur Muslims in China. Pakistan has more people uh, in prison uh, and life sentence for blasphemy. Those are just words uh, than, than any other country in the world. Uh, we, we saw the devastation in northern Iraq. Uh, but but it's just, I, I just want to make sure things don't, we're not going in a way that we're not following, like, What's happened in higher ed, there's so much uh, grievance studies and we focus on the negative and we have to we have to talk about the difficult, hard things and the failures. And uh, but we also want to you know build optimism and unity and recognize like I'm still real thankful to be from this country is with all the different flaws it has compared to a lot of places where. We go to work and help and assist people in their darkest hour. But so I, I just that that's where uh, I wrestle uh, with the 125 changes that were made after the ZPI came and said we wholeheartedly uh, recommend these last time. And then it just seemed like I saw a lot of the conflict identity group conflict and negativity and certain type of language and words. Expressed, and I can give you really particular, uh, specific examples, uh, Mr. Stiegel. Uh, but the the uh, compared to, do we also balance that out with progress and the blessings and the great work of pluralism that's have been accomplished? Uh, do we balance it out with um, what country has provided the greatest economic opportunity for the most people out, out of any country on the earth? Uh, and there's 196 or so countries. Uh, I, I'm probably off by one or two on that. But uh, so just the optimism too, the positivity, the, the I don't care who I am. I want to know that there's some hope. 
You heard Chastine mention Dr. Stegall. Uh, he is a staffer who was going over some of the uh, the presentation. And here's what this was in reference to. I need some clarification on We need some clarification on uh, one. Uh, there's no mention of gender identity in elementary. So I heard that used. And, and then I'm not sure if there's a specific example that's being referenced. I'd be glad to look at that. But it, it doesn't exist in the standards. So I'm not sure uh, if I've misunderstood the, the comment. Um, and then the second thing is uh, both the comments around the tone of uh, being about oppression. Uh, if, if we could get a specific example in the standards that we're talking about, because standard, again, these standards were created by teachers, not by the department. And it's following state board policy. And then second thing is um, the standards aren't set up to create a tone it's a create they're set up to uh, have dialogue for students and if there's specific examples it would be easier for us to contextualize what the concerns are um so that's just the questions i have and while dr oxendine said that she would come back and provide examples after the meeting to dr stigall lieutenant governor robinson responded later in the meeting directly i'm reading right here in second grade standards where it says explain how various indigenous religious gender and racial groups advocate for freedom and equality we're asking that of students that right now and i'm sorry to say this in many places we are failing to even teach our second graders to read on a first grade level all right i'm going to pick back up where todd chastine left off but first i'm going to tell you about growers hemp this is where i get my cbd oil growershemp.com use the promo code pete and you'll get 20 percent off you can also pick up their products at the broad river hemp company in shelby the medical pharmacy in locust durham co-op but you get the promo code pete at the website growers hemp and you'll get 20 percent off so these are north carolina farmers and full disclosure, uh, one of them is my brother-in-law. And they were like, we're growing this hemp. Why don't we control this process from the seed all the way to the shelf? And this way it gets you better quality and a lower price. And we're supporting family farms in our state. So go to Growers Hemp, get yourself some CBD products there. They've got topicals like salves and balms and lozenges as well, but they also have the drops and various uh, dosage amounts and, and concentrations. So what are you looking for? Better quality of life, balanced state of mind, a positive mental outlook, maybe deeper sleep. Uh, I started taking the CBD drops and I take them before I go to bed. I sleep through the night. And I mean, I didn't even hear it last night when the cat apparently uh, dug its claw into Christie's face uh, while he was trying to get up onto her pillow. I didn't even hear it, <laughs> which is a true story. I did not hear it. But uh, CBD drops. I like them. I take them. If you are curious, go to growershemp.com. As with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. And these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growershemp.com. That's the website promo code Pete. Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. So let me pick back up where Todd Chastine left off, where he made his comments about the tone and how it doesn't seem balanced. And then James Ford spoke. James Ford, I have his bio here. He is the executive director of Creed, the Center for Racial Equity in Education. He represents the Southwest Education Region on the Board of Education. He's pursuing his Ph.D. in urban education at UNC Charlotte. He previously taught world history and sociology at Garinger High School in Charlotte. And he was 2014-15 um, North Carolina Teacher of the Year. And here is what he had to say. Um, I have a couple of questions, um, but I'll preface by saying that um, I have a couple of remarks before I begin. And I'm not going to be using super formal language here. Um, so I do that at the risk of sounding like I'm complaining or have a grievance. Um, but I just want to say that because uh, I'm, I'm really tired, y'all. I'm tired because <laughs> I feel like we're not being direct. We're not being honest. We're beating around the bush here. Um, the staff made clear to us that the standards, the function of standards are about what we want students to know. And if we're being honest and forthright, this debate is connected to a much longer, a much broader national discourse. I was an advisor, just like Maureen was when 
the revised AP U.S. history framework was being debated and the same arguments for being lodged. It focuses too much on the subjugation and oppression of Black and Latinx and Native folk. It doesn't play up enough of American exceptionalism, exceptionalism, et cetera. The 1776 and Patriotic Education Commission and subsequent report, which is not a scholarly document, does not have any citations at all, no bibliography, okay? So, I mean, I, I, I hear where we're coming from when it comes to both sides, but both that let's not engage in false equivalents here. Both sides are not equal in terms of their rootedness and, and evidence, um, you know, um, evidential claims. So you notice he starts off there by taking a shot at Chastain, like, oh, I'm going to use just plain language and hope you don't take it as a grievance, right? All right, dude, relax, okay? Um, You're having a discussion. Let's be adults about this. You're having a debate, okay, first of all. Second of all, he is correct that this is connected to a larger debate, and and it does focus on on subjugation, okay? And there's not enough focus on American exceptionalism. And that is the core of this debate, because the core of the debate is critical race theory, that they're not actually debating. He says the function of the standards is what we want students to know. Okay, what do you want students to know about America? He doesn't say, okay, he doesn't say, but what do you want students to know about America? That it's systemically racist. He believes that. He believes America is systemically racist. And when he's talking about what the other side, like, what is the other side? That America's pretty good? That America's really good? That's the other side here? So you're taking the other position, which is what? That America is not? You're, you're, you're demanding that we, we define the actual debate, but then he doesn't do so. Okay. He also mentioned the 1776 commission. I'm not sure. Is that the side he's talking about? I have skimmed that report. He is correct. There are no footnotes to it. Historians attacked it with the same language that Ford did, which is fine. I'm not here to argue its defense. Um, I, like I said, I haven't read it. So, uh, but I did see when I skimmed through it, I did see direct attacks, uh, attacks against the divisive critical race theory, identity politics, progressivism in general, which has robbed people of a mutual understanding about what this great experiment of America is. It does attack them head on. And maybe that's his beef. Maybe that's his concern. I'm not sure. Um, All right, back to Ford. So as much as, you know, we're debating what students want to know, the truth is this debate is also about what we don't want students to know. And, And that's the subtext I feel like we just need to go ahead and take out of our pocket and put on the table. At first, when we engaged in this discussion last month, I was assured, or at least I felt like the discussion was about the inquiry standards, the overarching standards that guide the rest of the subsequent more specific standards. And now I hear we're critiquing language around systemic racism, gender identity, and systemic discrimination. This is a deviation from uh, what I recall the first discussion to be about. And, And with respect, I don't think these are refinements. Actually, I think that it makes these terms more ambiguous. Uh, I think it makes it less clear and more vague. And, you know, to me, if we were to adopt these draft five, it's an unnecessary concession um, because it just feels like a solution in desperate search of a problem. Um, And so, you know, one of my questions, I guess, is why are we doing this? Can we be honest? I mean, we have heard that 85% of, and that's the overwhelming majority, of the feedback has been positive, right? Um, We were very, very clear um, that from the stakeholders we engaged with, that they wanted more quote unquote inclusive standards, those that focused on uh, the experiences of the majority. And I use that term very carefully because I understand they're outliers, right? Nobody's a monolith, but the majority of experiences from black, brown, native and queer folk. And so, now we're kind of using terms like divisive, right, which is very um, nebulous and to me just means, you know, um, things exposing about which there are divisions, pre-existing divisions. But it's not clear to me for whom is this divisive. We've articulated who we want to include. Whom are we claiming that this is divisive for? We should be super specific um, and, and not uh, beat around the bush on that. And my second question is this, and I say this, again, respectfully, as much as it has been uh, 
forwarded that the notions of the presence of systemic racism is a matter of debate or, or subjective. I submit that it is not. And I submit that it is not with the evidence of uh, Article One, Section Two of our United States Constitution. It's there. And that legacy continues uh, on through, right, post-Reconstruction, 100 years of segregation or, quote unquote, or whites only society, three decades of discrimination and redlining and GI bills, right? Another two decades of urban renewal, even on up to the housing crisis, which targeted black and brown um, uh, uh, borrowers with subprime loans, even when they qualify for prime loans. And just last week, I saw an article that in Charlotte, the average black homeowner, there's a $40,000 gap between the value of their home and the value of other folks' home in the area. This is this is not a debate as, 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 as much as whether the earth is flat is a debate or whether, uh, uh, you know, the, the solar system is heliocentric. We're not talking about the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot here, right? Um, the, the two arguments do not hold equal weight. And so leaving it open to just say racism, right, as people understand it or don't understand it, unfortunately, even with these glossary terms, which I do think are great, they're great definitions, um, it, it's a it's a very fine people on both sides approach to to discussing racism. And, and I think that that leaves us talking about racism as a matter of exclusively uh, personal agency and not social structure. And, and I, I just, I, you know, I kind of end by saying this, right? The function of educators is to teach. And I feel like these standards do a good job. It's not as if they don't address American exceptionalism. It talks about critiquing that our job here is not to rescue America from constructive critique or to project optimism. What we need is not the power of positive thinking. That's not what's going right. That's not going to change anything for us. Or our job, you know, uh, as 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 you know, some of my preacher friends like to say, is to tell folks what God loves, and that's the truth, right? And however that leaves folks feeling is up to them. I'm American, right? My family has been here. Um, you know, the, the patriarch of my maternal side of family was an emancipated enslaved person in the Darlington area of South Carolina. I've been here longer than a whole bunch of folks. OK, so I reserve the right to say and think what I want to as an American. It's not my job to try to stack up and say, is this positive and try to shape the contours, of whether it's balanced. with That's not our job. Um, and lastly, we know, y'all, um, that while we were debating these very standards on January the 6th, an insurrection was happening, a violent, attempted coup, right? About, about a contested election that, again, dealt with a lot of votes from black folk, okay? And so the way that we move through that, uh, uh, get over that, and I'm not certain, right? Uh, but the way that we, that we don't do that, let me say, is by pretending like these aren't real, dogged, durable systemic issues that have to be addressed in the way that we're educating folk, because in part, by not doing so, we facilitate that sort of reaction and the reaction of it being unprecedented when it in fact is not. It is part of a historical pattern that we should be engaging young people in the process of thinking about. And so those two questions, I apologize that they got lost in the sauce, but why are we doing this? For whom are, are we responding to this for? And, and, and is there any really real debate about the presence of systemic racism or things I would like to hear addressed? Lieutenant Governor Robinson will address those in a minute. First, I will address your new address. If you are buying or selling a home, then you need Rowena Patton. She'll help you get your new address. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they will get your house sold fast and for more money. If you are looking to buy a house, she has homes in all price points ready for you. Give her a call at 828-333-4483. That's 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. She's the only official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, veterans, active duty, and retirees. So give her a call, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. So here is the knot that Ford is tying, is that... Nobody's questioning that systemic racism exists, right? Aha. So if that's true, then shouldn't teachers be teaching systemic racism exists? And if teachers are teaching that, shouldn't then the students be receiving the message that this needs to be overthrown? 
right? Isn't that the natural progression? But see, we're not having any of that debate. We don't have this discussion because they're not equipped or they're unwilling to debate critical race theory in this setting. Here's Lieutenant Governor Robinson's response. All right. Well, let me let me deal with one thing first. Uh, and I want to deal with this up front. I was going to say something about it during the last meeting, but I did not. You know, I checked the minutes and I looked through the records. I did not see anyone make any statements at the last meeting when in any of the meetings, when we saw Raleigh on fire, when I saw my hometown of Greensboro on fire, when I saw uh, Fayetteville, other st- uh, cities around this state on fire, when we were having riots, not protests, let's get this straight. Protesters hold a sign, they chant a slogan, they get politically involved, they get politically active. Rioters break windows, turn over police cars, destroy businesses, loot businesses. We saw that all across this state and not nary a word that I hear out of anyone see out of anyone's mouth from this board or any other about those riots that we had. In fact, I saw the exact opposite. I saw folks encouraging people to continue to put the, quote, pressure on folks to make changes by rioting in the street. That's number one. When we talk about the so-called insurrection at the Capitol last week, we need to realize where that came from. That came from setting a standard of allowing lawlessness to reign on our streets. It didn't start in Washington, D.C. It started right here in Raleigh. It started in Minneapolis. It started in Greensboro when we allowed rioters to tear up our cities. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to reiterate my thoughts on these standards one more time. As someone who holds education near and dear to my heart, and as somebody who is a solid conservative, a solid Republican, if I enter a classroom, with conservatism, republicanism, what I believe about those subjects. If I entered the classroom with the intention of putting that agenda over the agenda of educating those students, I have failed. And I believe we have failed with these standards because I don't care what anyone says. You wanna speak plain? These standards have put an agenda above the education of our students. It doesn't, I don't care what anyone says about it, I'm not backing off of it because I see it and I understand it. These standards do not do anything to move forward progress in our nation. You talk about the history of this nation, yes, there are positive things we need to talk about and there are negative things we need to talk about. Positive things we need to talk about is the fact that our constitution held back the power from slave owners. And our Constitution, yes, at one point allowed Jim Crow to be the standard in this nation. But our Constitution also made it possible for Jim Crow to be squashed. The system of government that we have in this nation is not systemically racist. In fact, it is not racist at all. And these standards smack at something that teach children in our schools that this nation that has seen itself go from a nation that once upon a time allowed slavery, to now having had a black president for two terms and a and for the first time in this state, a black lieutenant governor, second in command in this state, that this is a racist nation. Folks, that is not true. And when we write standards that point in that direction in any way, we are doing our students a disservice, whether they be black, white, brown, Native American, straight, gay, it doesn't matter. We need to be teaching our children through standards that are going to allow them to be encouraged to be North Carolinians and be Americans. And we can do that by teaching them warts and all, but we should not be doing it by anybody's agenda. And that is exactly what's going on here. There are folks that have an agenda with this stuff. I see it plain as day, and I am not going to sit down and take it. All right, and that is a wrap for this episode. I know we went through a lot today, but thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and thank you very much for the support. As always, go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.